0: Welcome to this week's episode of London Heal. I am your host, Tatiana Kasesinov. This week, I'm absolutely delighted and very honored to have as my guest, Dr. Mike Cummings. Mike is the medical director of the British Medical Acupuncture Society. He also runs the BMAS London Teaching Clinic. He lectures, writes for the BMS blog, and has published many scientific papers on the subject of medical acupuncture. Mike came to acupuncture as a bit of an accident during his service as a medical officer in the RAF and I think that's probably a really great place to start. So first of all, Mike, welcome and thank you for taking the time. Thank
1: you um, for inviting me.
0: My absolute pleasure. And so, you know, I always uh, come across so many people who say that what they ended up doing is is kind of an accident. So you're an accidental acupuncturist. So <laughs> why don't you fill us in a little bit about how that came about? Because you are a classically trained MD, right?
1: Uh, yes, I, was, um, I, I went to Leeds Medical School um, after my A-levels. Um, I was brought up in a relatively academic fashion. Parents that pushed academia so I didn't um, I I stuck to sciences and uh, off I went Uh, I uh, my interest developed in uh, musculoskeletal medicine sports medicine and sports medicine wasn't really it wasn't developed in the UK it was developed in the United States but um, and I was looking to see if I could get some experience there but that was obviously difficult as a student to be hopping across the Atlantic um, and um, and during my junior hospital jobs, I went off on courses um, with the um, uh, BASM, the British Association for Sports and Exercise Medicine. And they were great courses uh, and got me more and more interested. But still, it wasn't clear what career to take. And then I saw an advert for um, a medical officer in the RAF. And the advert had a man or a woman, I don't know, actually, a small person dangling off a helicopter. And this was supposedly a doctor doing a home visit on some <laughs> boat via um, uh, an RAF helicopter. So it was a bit of a dramatic advert. And I thought, oh, that that captured my uh, imagination. and And also I thought, well, presumably the population will be fairly sporty. So that might be a good thing to do. So it was a big surprise to me within my first week in the RAF um, and before I'd done officer training to, um, to see that one of the more senior doctors there was doing acupuncture in a quiet, on a quiet Wednesday afternoon in the medical center when everyone else was out and about playing sport or flying. And I happened to wander in. And so I asked the sergeant what was going on you know and I had a bit of a frown on my face probably because I was conventional and this seemed very unconventional and he um and he swung round the um a big a big book that was on the desk it was a big leather bound book and it had the emblem of the air force on the front so it looked official and he opened it up and he said here sir the you'll see a page of acupuncture supplies and the service will pay for your training, and and I I think it was the moment I saw it. I saw all that listed, all the different needles and the various things you could you could order on the official medical, the official military um, uh, stores manual, which it, what it what it was, uh, and it just looked it looked like it was allowed. So I my my brow unfurrowed and I didn't question it again. I just put that in the back, thinking, "Okay, that's something I need to do. I'll go on a course at some point." Uh, and then later on in my career, when I had the opportunity, I went on a course. And that that reminds me because one of the one of the questions you asked me is what what was the aha moment? And it was I arrived on that course. I'd seen uh, I'd seen one of my patients. I'd seen. Um, the uh, the morning before the first day of the course, and he'd come in complaining of a of a, a neck complaint, and he was pressing on the back of his neck, on what I now understand to be a very <laughs> well recognised acupuncture point, and um, he was saying, "I've got this tenderness here and this pain going up the back of my head," and and I examined him and I couldn't find anything very significant except the tenderness and and my only the only thing I could offer then was I could offer referral to physiotherapy. I could give some advice about stretching. It didn't seem bad enough to offer an injection technique, which is what I was doing up till that stage. I would be naturally doing uh, injections of anesthetic or steroids or something, and I thought it's it's too early to do that. And um, the next day, I'm sitting in a lecture on um, myofascial pain, as it happens, and there's the x marks the spot and the pain absolutely matched what this guy had described the day before and I went oh I know what that, that damn I hope I see that chap and sure enough that chap came to see me the following week and and uh, I hadn't had a very good relationship I hadn't felt like I had got to know this guy well he was senior to me been in the service a long time he didn't seem to like me <laughs> uh, and and um, and he was and I always found the consultations difficult. Uh, and as soon as he came in again, I said, "Oh, I'm glad you've come in. Have you still got that, you know, problem?" He said, "Yeah, yeah." And I'm this and that and the other. And I said, "Oh, I'll do something for you straight away." And I picked up. I had some needles on my desk from the course, and I picked up one needle and I said, "Try this." And I <laughs> I, I placed the needle in the in the spot, and um, it reproduced his symptom. And he was looking a bit. Um, confused and I took it out again and I said how about that then <laughs> and and he and he looked at me and he said yeah I, I that was fine and, and and he stood up and he left and he left my room much sooner than he ever did before I always had trouble ending the consultation and, and and satisfying him really uh, so that was that was interesting I thought wow that was efficient um, and then he came and saw me again a week later. And he had a smile on his face for the first time ever. I'd never seen this chap smile, at least not in my company. And he, he said, Yeah, he'd been feeling great. The pain had disappeared straight away. And he'd been feeling uplifted and slightly euphoric all week. He, was up, he had other issues going on. He was leaving the service and he'd been in the service a long time and he was worried. Maybe a little depressed in a way, um, and all that had lifted, and he felt more positive. And I thought this is incredible. All I did was use one needle in one point for a few seconds, and I and and that was one of my early experiences, and um, and it was it was it was very dramatic. And he told me, and he told me why he had been so grumpy, or why he'd been unhappy with that. Uh, with me before, and it was, it was something I never imagined. It was the manner in which I called him in from the waiting room. <laughs> and the way and the way yeah, something you would never have thought. I thought I was using his correct title in the military. Uh, he had a particular title, um, an unusual title you may not be familiar with, but um, a warrant officer, you will have heard of, a warrant officer, which is the mm-hmm. most senior of the non-commissioned ranks. Well, he was that level. But because he was uh, an crew, he was called a master. He was master air crew, And so you didn't call him a warrant officer. You called him, uh, he was master, whatever his surname would be. Um, and, um, and, and he told me it, he felt like it sounded like I was calling in a young boy. Because, of course, you because know. Because that's what the that's, word meant originally, right? Originally, that's how you use that term. And I just thought I was doing the right thing. Um so that was very interesting. Um I can't remember asking him what I should have called him, but anyway. Uh but um but I thought all of that, all of that from 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 my first use of an acupuncture needle. And I had several other I had several other early experiences like that. And I don't know whether I was just more open to it or or more curious, but my early use of the technique was so useful. And so easy and quick, much quicker than any of the other techniques I would have used that were more invasive. And Before so that we... combined with sports medicine, you know, I ended up doing a lot of a lot of a lot of needling in my in my early days in the military, and, and the results were fabulous. <sighs>
0: That begs a really interesting question. I, I do want to go on and actually have you explain exactly what acupuncture is and perhaps the differences. But yes. one thing that's often a criticism, perhaps, if you like, of of, of non-conventional medicine, alternative medicine, traditional methods, etc., is of course that it's placebo effect. Now, I'm never somebody who says just placebo because I think yes. the placebo is exactly everything that has to do with healing. Um, but I mean, from what you described about that particular situation, that would actually negate that as an argument because in fact, you didn't have a particularly good relationship with that first client and yet it still worked.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Um, although that's a case, it's a case, a single case report. Of course, report of and course.
0: Therefore, N equals one. <laughs> yes.
1: It, it's, it's very difficult to make causal relationships. Although Although this is somebody I'd seen before. He'd had the condition for a certain length of time. It had been static, constant. I had examined him already. I'd touched him. I'd pressed on the point. So I'd done quite a bit beforehand. I hadn't performed a therapeutic ritual as such. The acupuncture needle could be seen as a therapeutic ritual. Right. And he improved very quickly afterwards. And that, that's a bit more convincing. It doesn't prove, again, doesn't prove anything. But those type of case reports are... More convincing where you have a static stable condition and then a sudden change after your intervention um, and of course that was all that was that intervention was controlled to some degree by the fact that i'd already touched him before he 'd seen me in consultation, which is which has an effect itself the context of the context of treatment i don 't like using the term placebo um, except in discussion of 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 clinical research where the term is utilized um, in the design and that's because I think it's used differently by different people to mean different things and it's not clear. It's not clear Uh, and so I try to avoid that term uh, in normal conversation. Um, uh, So placebo, placebo is often mixed between the effect most people mean when they dismiss complementary medicine and say it's just placebo is what they mean is uh, it the 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 intervention doesn't have a specific effect it doesn't specifically do anything in itself in what you can define as the intervention but the whole fact that you're caring for someone and, and being nice to them in the whole context of care has the effect but that's difficult because you have to define what the intervention is and what isn't the intervention. And if you're a reductionist scientist, and um, science is very reductionist, for a long time it's been quite reductionist, and there's a reason for that. Um, And now it's sort of changing a little bit, but it's slow. Um, And we've wanted to narrow down. Ever since the Greek, ever since Pythagoras, the Greeks have taught us to narrow down to the ultimate the, um, the finest, the smallest particle of substance, what is, the, what is everything made of, what are the atoms. There was one Greek who came up with atomic theory long before we discovered atoms um, and thought everything must come down to individual small particles. But then also in terms of theoretical concepts, they wanted to go back to the, the general concept that could be true of everything. And Pythagoras perhaps was one of the first to do that with his with his mathematical constructs, and the triangle, and you know the um, the right angle triangle, and it's um and it's really nice when you can do that, but we can't do that all the time. And now we're starting to see in the more com- complex nature, certainly in medicine, the complex nature of humans. Reductionism is very limited, very limited when it comes to to treating a whole person. Of course, we're all whole people whilst we're alive. And, um, and we are very complex, even down to the cellular level. If you take a single cell, we are hugely complex and we don't fully understand all of that. Very, very difficult. And even the, the most basic stuff like what we eat, that you know nutrition is hugely complex and of course we're all interested in it and we all talk about it and people blog about it and and i put pictures of food up on on social media what i eat (laughs) like everyone else Uh, i've stopped doing that new year's resolution no more food pictures um but um but and people ask advice of course in medical consultations what should you know i like to eat this or that or i like to eat this time or that time and and basically, we have no answers for them. We have our own ideas. We have some theoretical ideas. But but the truth is, it's so complicated at the chemical level. We can only guess as to what's happening. And of course, that's true of medicine. Right. We come up with individual molecules. We come up with, oh, this super molecule that'll treat all pain. Well, no one molecule is ever going to treat suffering. But that's how we've we've come to reduce everything and of course capitalism doesn't help because capitalism allows us to make money from a single molecule but it doesn't easily allow us to financialize a more complex interaction or <clears throat> most complementary medicine most complementary medicine doesn't lend itself to a capitalist model of of um uh, What do you do? You patent something and then, you know, sell it universally or sell it to uh, sell it for what it's worth in terms of the the idea as well as the molecule or intervention.
0: Right. And there's only a certain amount you can charge for an acupuncture needle, I suppose.
1: (laughs) Well, yes. I mean, the acupuncture needles are very cheap and and, and acupuncture needles. That's the problem as well. Reductionist medicine focuses on the needle and okay i'm happy enough with that let's let's make sure the needle does something because it potentially is dangerous if you you know if you put it in too deep somewhere or in the wrong place or you hurt somebody with it then that's not good but is it just a needle if we actually look at the mechanisms uh, the likely mechanisms around an acupuncture consultation then it goes beyond just a needle and the needle is a tool really that allows you to uh, exert pressure or to um, place an electrical stimulus at a certain position in the body but it's not just a needle
0: that's a so, good that's a good point to, to actually <clears throat> excuse me get into into the meat and potatoes of, of acupuncture so how does it work uh, what what's the current theory so you're saying it's not just the needle so what's the idea well,
1: the needle is a the needle is a is a tool that allows us to exert a physiological stimulus, and it's it acupuncture is um, acupuncture in the nature of inserting needles or stimulating needles electrically is is a physiological stimulus, and most of what we know about it uh, revolves around studying that stimulus. In fact, mostly electrical stimuli down needles is what's been studied most because mm-hmm. that's much more much more reliable within the laboratory setting to be able to give you the, the effects to measure. So we know most about that, although we do know a fair bit about uh, manual needling as well and different different effects from, from rotation of the needle. But that's not been studied to the same, anywhere near the same level as, as the effects of stimulating nerves in inside usually inside muscle or around muscles at deep what we call deep somatic nerves so the soma refers to the body as opposed to the viscera so we're separated into the if you like the outside muscles and bones and stuff outside and the viscera on the inside and there are distinct differences in terms of our physiology in these two areas so if we we stimulate muscles we're stimulating deep somatic nerves and they have they have certain unique not entirely unique effects, but but quite potent effects, as opposed to stimulating the skin. Right. So a lot of a lot of therapies, a lot of touch therapies, stimulate the skin, um, and a lot of physical therapies um, uh, have have quite a large effect at the skin level, and not such a potent effect on deep tissues although some do, Um, but but acupuncture has a very potent effect on deep tissues because of the nature of the stimulus, Um, a very, very high pressure stimulus. So it really does stimulate certain fibers that are very difficult to stimulate in other ways. We think physiologically that the the best correlate of of the acupuncture stimulus is actually very intense exercise or the post-exercise effect it does feel similar when you have a needle put into your muscle, you get a, well, if you feel anything, I mean, sometimes you don't feel anything, but but you get this vague, deep sensation from muscle, which is not dissimilar to some of the sensations you get after intense exercise. Normally we don't feel our muscles at all.
0: Right.
1: That's not something that's easy to, it's not something that's easy to imagine. You just think, Oh, of course I can feel my body. I can feel my, but when you actually move, if you focus on one muscle and you move it, you think, "Well, actually, no, I can't feel it. I can feel." We have very good, we have very good sensation for position sense. We have very mm-hmm. sophisticated nerves that tell us exactly how stretched um, a, a, a certain structures are, joint capsules and certain parts of the muscle. We give us, in, we give us, gives us information on how stretched it is. We can't really feel inside it. And, but we're very familiar with doing a workout or doing a, doing unusual exercise, and the next day feeling. And then we feel the ache in the muscle or the stiffness, and it's like every time we move it, we can feel that stiffness. And that 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 seems to be a similar type of um, a similar type of effect to to what you see with with acupuncture, at least when you look at the brain and the the effects that occur in the hours after an acupuncture session.
0: God, um, a million questions are coming up for me. Just, just, just why you're, you're saying that. So essentially what you're doing is you're stimulating the nerve and that is then going on to actually stimulate the muscles because otherwise you wouldn't have this muscular effect. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not only stimulating the nerve, but it's actually stimulating it so that the nerve itself does something.
1: Well, you're, well. M- probably most of the effect is from, we have different types of nerves. Um, so probably most of the effects that we measure are from stimulating the sensory nerves in muscle. Um, the, the, the nerves that are hard to stimulate, so they're called high threshold, which means you you need strong stimulus for them to react. You will stimulate other nerves as well, but the main effects appear to be from these nerves. And they're the same nerves that that will mediate these achy feelings after exercise because they're so, they're, high, high, they're so difficult to stimulate that normal activity isn't going to stimulate them. You have to contract the muscle incredibly strongly to stimulate them or do enough exercise that those nerves become more sensitive with the acid environment after exercise, mm-hmm. uh, in simple terms. And they then become more easy to stimulate. And so your normal movement of the muscle is felt. Whereas with an acupuncture needle, with a normal muscle, an acupuncture needle has a strong enough influence that it will stimulate those feelings. And that's the typical sensation that we get with acupuncture, that the Chinese referred to in other ways, as um, de qi, or they referred to it in other other terms because they thought this represents um, the concept of qi accumulating around the needle, which was a concept, It's it's a theoretical concept. And it's not invalid, it's a description. But but in, in modern terms, we, we would associate that with stimulating a certain types of sensory fibers in, in deep tissue, particularly muscle uh, tissue, that seems to correlate with that idea that's described by the Chinese and it's a typical you, most people will get that sensation when you if you, if you stimulate strongly enough with a needle.
0: So what happens if somebody is experiencing pain and you come along and you needle it I mean that's almost like the homeopathic principle of like, you know, uh, begetting like, really like. like so because yeah. um, you know, yes. you've actually got a problem, and then you're actually stimulating, stimulating the nerve, pain, yeah. exactly. And so, yeah. is, is that part of the of the rationale of how this actually? Works? I have
1: never heard anybody use use that i that that idea before. <laughs> in fact, and after all these years of doing exposure, nobody's ever said that before. Like treating like, uh, but I understand that from the way I've described it, that that would be a logical uh, a logical um, uh, question. I don't think so. Not. It's not that you're. It, it's complicated because there are lots of different aspects to the effects, and there are techniques where you would use a strong technique at a distance, or in another part of the body, which would which would take the attention of the brain away from the other pain. So, so in a sense, there are ways where you're you're competing for the influence for the uh, attention in the brain of different stimuli, but of course, it needs to be it needs to be acceptable. It needs to be an acceptable treatment. So most acupuncture doesn't work through that mechanism of being a stronger pain stimulus (laughs) Uh, because that wouldn't be acceptable to most people. Although there are some techniques that would, would probably work through that mechanism. It's a very brief mechanism and it's usually a means to, a means to allow somebody to move to a more comfortable position and a, and a, it has been experimented with, I mean, sorry, investigated in the laboratory. It's called, it was originally called DENIC, Diffuse Noxious Inhibitory Control. And now it's <laughs> got another word, which is just almost as bad, another acronym, which is um, heterotopic noxious conditioning stimulation. It's really a theoretical thing. It's it's tested in, in the laboratory, but it's worth mentioning because quite a lot of um, Quite a lot of of scientists from the medical world often dismiss, or the pain world, often dismiss acupuncture as being just that, um, a distraction, if you like. And that's not true, because because the majority of acupuncture actually goes into the area of pain. And if you create a strong, too strong a sensation there, you're going to make the pain worse, not better. So, and now we know we know that the influence a, a relatively gentle influence in the same region can have a number of effects and and they have effects in the spinal cord and so there's a there tends to be a suppression of inputs in the spinal cord by doing acupuncture in the in the region there's also more recently discovered another effect which might be quite relevant to to more traditional treatments and that is that if you if you if you if you stimulate a needle close to a nerve bundle that's on the way to the spinal cord from the problem area, you can release chemicals that block transmission. So this, would, this, this might explain some of, the, some of the reasons why the meridian theories may well work in the sense that if you use a point along a meridian, very often the meridian may well be close to a nerve trunk. And if you go along up the leg from, a say, there's a problem in the foot and you use points along the meridian, the relevant meridians along there, it's highly likely that you may block some transmission. So that's another another mechanism that's been discovered only in the last uh, 10 years or so. Um, much longer ago, we have discovered the mechanisms within the s- central nervous system, in the brain and the spinal cord, for modulating pain inputs. And they can be, for some people, they can be very profound, but they're not reliable. So you can't just guarantee that you take somebody and go i'm going to be able to treat this person you know if they happen to be someone who has this mechanism that's easy to to generate and that's probably mainly a genetic background to that although again that hasn't been studied a great deal we, we suspect it's genetic then you've got a few needles and they will be very comfortable and you take someone else, like me or my family, for example, I think we're probably at the other end of the spectrum, um, and you stick a, some needles in us and really you have to turn up the electricity and keep it going and um, there's not a huge effect. So right. there's, there can be a very, very, uh, very big – and this is a problem for trials. If you then – often in trials what we do is we group large people together, large groups of people together, and then we look for an effect. Uh, in that group compared to a, a comparator. And in that group, of course, you're going to have some people who respond beautifully well and others who don't. And so on average, it reduces the size of the effect to a sort of a, well, to an average effect. And that's often what we're looking at in big trials. We're looking at the average effect and ignoring perhaps that some of these outliers have been outliers on the good side have had dramatically wonderful effects that on their own would be you don't want to ignore, but when you've when you have um, diluted them throughout a larger population, then then you know it doesn't seem so impressive. So, if you that- could select those people.
0: Of course, yes. Yeah. So the, the normal distribution curve that we that we see with everything yeah. where everybody's just clumped into the middle. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. how in, in your, I mean, obviously there's a lot of data, there's a lot of trials, there's a lot of scientific investigation on acupuncture, but in your taking that into consideration in your own personal experience, how effective is it? Because at the end of the day, what people critical, really want yeah. to know, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, And, and it, and now in my clinical practice, it's virtually the only thing I use. Um, And that's partly because I'm, I I don't do, uh, my clinical practice is much, much, much more restricted. If I was still say a GP, as I was in the military, I was a GP. So I would see everybody in their community practice with anything they had. And obviously then I would treat some, I would have to refer some, and uh, some I would reassure. In that, in that setting, I would be using acupuncture on a daily basis. And I would be using it for, for uh, musculoskeletal pain, principally. Probably the, one of the best interventions for a doctor in that situation. And maybe for physiotherapists, osteopaths, anybody who sees people coming in with musculoskeletal pain. Acupuncture is a really a tool that I would, I, if I was taken away from me, I would suffer terribly.
0: Um, and so would your patients
1: i think <laughs> so useful yes they would because i have to do something more invasive or or less effective really really effective in this sort of in this sort of now the, the research data doesn't support that and and i've spent my entire career sort of interested in that area and looking at why and what's happened and part of the reason for that is that those patients for whom it works so well they 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 generally have muscle pain and these are the miracle cures, you stick a single needle in and, it, and the pain disappears. They're very difficult to recruit to, to trials. They don't wait around to be recruited. So we end up doing trials on the more chronic versions of these conditions, which aren't quite the same. So, so I would certainly put at the top of my list what we call trigger point pain, myofascial pain, trigger point pain. So pain from a, an, an individual band of tight muscle, which can be very annoying, or it can be extremely uncomfortable for some patients, and it's, and and nine out of ten times, that's from audit data. Nine out of ten times, one single needle in the right spot, and it'll disappear.
0: That's but, pretty effective.
1: <laughs> yes, and I, and you know, my first my first publications were about this, and I was planning then to do a trial on this, and and what happened was I left the population. I didn't appreciate that I could easily recruit this population. I observed it in retrospective, observational, you know, audit type work, and it was very impressive, but but it was it was impossible to recruit to a randomized trial, at least at least in the in that acute, subacute phase that was so effective or appeared to be so effective. There are other challenges with research as well, of course, but from my experience there was that. And then so over the years as I as I moved practices and I, I I became I became more of a person that people would come to to seek acupuncture, which changes things. If you're a GP and you think, ah, I'm going to use acupuncture on this, you get a different population from people coming to you to try acupuncture. It changes the population. It becomes a little bit more challenging and you get different conditions. So I didn't see so many of those young men with muscle pain that I saw in the military. Of course, young men don't go to acupuncture. I don't see men anymore. Almost, I see some, but they're certainly not young men with muscle pain. They wouldn't seek me out, so I, I much more rarely see those those complaints um, that I saw in the military. I see people with osteoarthrosis of the knee, for example, of the spine, and various conditions. and it And it turned out that I was looking, and I, and in my early days, I would, I wouldn't be very interested in trying to treat osteoarthrosis because, logically, how can a few needles change a joint that is degenerate and causing pain how are the needles going to change that so I was took me longer to be convinced by that and it was actually the research that started to become positive and I thought oh interesting I mean I'd had some personal experience but it's it's not the miracle. If you're brought up with one needle, oh, well, that was it, doc, you've got it. Oh, yeah, it's completely gone now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're brought up with that type of intervention, then an intervention that takes weeks, and then the patient goes, oh, yes, my knees are much better now. I can walk a bit further. I can do this, that. It's not quite as convincing because you've had to treat them so many times. But that seemed to be becoming more positive in terms of the trial research. And so I got interested in that, and I started up a clinic in the hospital to try and provide what I thought was the best treatment in in a group's clinic, so we could treat as many people as possible. And that was highly successful. Unfortunately, the following year, the NICE, National Institute for Health and Clinical Excellence, who, who make guidelines for what we ought to do in the NHS, came along and said, don't use electroacupuncture for osteoarthritis. And I thought, that's a bit specific. (laughs) <laughs> and and electroacupuncture to muscles around the knee, I had I had come to think was probably the best intervention. And I tried to create it such that we could do it quickly and efficiently in as many people as possible and give them a good good set a good a good treatment course. And the clinic was highly successful, but now we were up with a problem that we were told this wasn't to be done in the NHS. And so that led me to to go and look at why that decision had been made. And that was one of the things that drew me into the business of how this new evidence-based medicine works and how people make decisions for these guidelines. I'd already started doing some, I'd done some reviewing, systematic reviewing before. So I knew the methods and, and I was shocked, shocked and appalled at the at the silly little things that could get in the way of these decisions, how, how a decision or recommendation could turn on, on the data and the use or misuse of that data, or m- usually mistakes or simple mistakes because people didn't understand the, the intervention. Often the people doing the assessments, you could have a room full of people, no, none of which had ever had the intervention or used it or knew anything about it. They were just looking at the research. And so it's very easy in that circumstance, if nobody's in the room, knows what it's like, to, to come up with an unusual, an unusual uh, recommendation. Like that one was very unusual because in the draft guidance, they were going to recommend acupuncture, but not electroacupuncture. And I'm thinking, how's that work? Because electroacupuncture is stronger generally than acupuncture. You have to put the needles in to do it. So how can it be, how can it be less effective unless it does damage? And I knew, of course, it doesn't doesn't do any damage at all it's the the stimulus is way too small to affect to affect adversely affect the body um um, beyond the needles the needles obviously can be problematic if they're placed in the in in a in a dangerous position but but the adding a small amount of electricity doesn't really have any any deleterious effect so it wasn't logical and that's what led me into that and oh my word you don't want to hear more about nice (laughs) very frustrating
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know they' the website not there's a, <laughs>
1: there's a, you know, anyone who is interested in that though in on the b m s website there's a little a little link to back pain because the we that was a big uh, the back pain guidance was positive. I was involved with the back pain guidance that came out in two thousand and nine and that was an interesting an interesting uh, process to see from the inside how guidelines are developed and it was I was impressed at the process, but then that guideline caused some some um issues with uh with groups or more orthodox groups of pain clinicians and then slowly over the over the period of years another review process was set up from a different perspective and um, anyway i can i tell that story on a on a presentation uh if anybody's interested in looking at that and the sort of the politics of provision
0: but in order to actually kind of um Please people like nice and and the conventional medical confu- uh, community and scientific community which i consider also to be very necessary um, is is this the reason why the whole uh, area of medical acupuncture as as you describe it has been set up because essentially it's acupuncture that strips away all of the what i would call anthropological trimmings so all of the the, the faith the belief the, the, the everything that goes around it so essentially it's sort of like a stripped down version of um or a that that makes it sound like it's simple but you understand what i'm trying to say um of traditional chinese medicine um is, is that partly because that's your own bias to actually look at it that way or is it also so that it actually Gets credibility because the minute you start talking about energy medicine or anything, people are just going to throw their hands up and say, "We can't measure this. Doesn't exist. Go away."
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I, I mean, I came to it. I would never have gone. I would never have gone to anything unconventional from my from my upbringing. I mean, I was in the military for crying out loud. I was. I mean, only looking back do I realise how ultra conventional I was. An aggressive conformist, probably, is <laughs> how you describe someone who went into the military. But it I wasn't that to
0: aggressive. the best of us. Yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I wasn't that aggressive, but um, but I'm so pleased I had that experience because it opened beyond the use of acupuncture and the needle. It opened my mind to all sorts of. Uh, it not opened my mind. It opened my perspectives. I suppose it led me to question a lot of the orthodoxy that I'd picked up and why I'd picked it up and I, I started to question a lot of a lot of medicine that i just took for granted and quite rightly too uh, but no i i want to understand how i want to understand mechanisms how things work um, so that i can apply them best and so i was drawn in i was drawn into that and and at the time that i learned acupuncture that that was already happening that um, that discovery of uh, endorphins and and Complex mechanisms in the nervous system, um, and in fact, acupuncture research influenced influenced scientific research quite a lot because it was through acupuncture research that endorphins were first discovered, um, and um, and that so that was acupuncture was an important part of that um, development in pain medicine. Um, so I've always I've always wanted to know how it works, and I think. Um, and I think, yes, I think in the early days, I must be honest, the the slightly weird ideas from uh, Chinese philosophy were just alien to me. It wasn't normal for this. And, and so at first it just seemed unnecessarily complex and not my thing. So, so I didn't really focus too much on it to start with. I just focused on what I was interested in and trying to work out how how acupuncture was best used and worked. But over the years, of course, I've become exposed much, much more to people with different perspectives and and debated with them, those that want to debate anyway, debated with them what their experiences are like. And, and of course, as you get older, things become easier because you have more experience, you have a different perspective on life, and you can start to appreciate, you can start to appreciate what what it means and what the Chinese were trying to do and with their ideas and you can't just dismiss 2,000 or 4,000 year old philosophy and say oh that that doesn't exist the chi doesn't exist and people would just dismiss like that simply doesn't exist because we've looked and the arrogance of Western medicine and Western (laughs) science to go we've looked we haven't seen it. It doesn't exist. We've got so much wrong in in, in in science. There's no room for arrogance. The more you learn, the more you realize there is to learn.
0: Yeah. You know, that, my argument you know, this, always is that science should be uh, an inquiry, and therefore you should go in with an open mind. And in fact, they're yeah. the most closed-minded group of people that you can come well, across. Yes, I know no, I am one. So. <laughs> some, yes, I yeah, mean, some, some of us have strayed. <laughs>
1: yes.
0: Not all but I think
1: science is difficult and it and it's very challenging to the it individual is. scientist to to face up to the uncertainty when it's much more it's much better if you could be certain and so in in complementary medicine for example I mean I, I try not to have much to do with the skeptics but there's a big skeptic group who are anti and and they tend to come from certain spheres of science they tend to be sort of physics computer computer science those sort of areas of Areas where a superficial look will give you the impression that it's absolutely black and white. You know, let's go to, you know, whatever. Newton was a classic. I mean, he was a great chap. Very religious, actually, Newton, I've yeah, discovered he recently. He was a
0: hermeticist, in fact, wasn't he? An he, alchemist.
1: He did, he did all sorts, <laughs> yes. I mean, he did all sorts. Quite rightly, a bright chap who was, who you know, why not experiment with trying to make some gold and <laughs> and the like. Um, but and his but his his mathematical and, and inquiry was so beyond its time the the way he could he could make those observations and that give us those you know those three essential laws but of course they're wrong you know they're an approximation and now we think oh my god and physics went through such turmoil a century ago because everyone was getting the wrong results Mm-hmm. And this is the problem, of course, with relativity and um, uh, quantum mechanics. Quantum mechanics, it doesn't work. Newton's laws don't work at the extremes, whether they be gravitational extremes or whether they be sub-nuclear particles. So it's no outliers work again. And, and you don't get the right results. And of course, there was turmoil for the physicists. And now, of course, most of them will conveniently <laughs> brush over this. I mean, if you're talking about the level where we're educating our children or whatever, Mostly, you're going to brush over that. We're going to go, okay, let's just assume they're right. <laughs> but we don't know. At the, you know, Ultimately, science doesn't have the answers. There's, we've learned more and more, but we just don't know. So to just go, uh, we haven't found it, it can't exist, is, is outrageously arrogant. Unfortunately, you know, you're not going to get any, anywhere with, you're probably not going to get anywhere with that argument. What you need to do is choose who you argue with. Make sure you choose <laughs> someone who's, Choose someone who's bright enough to realize that they don't know everything.
0: Well, just recently, I was I was reading in in a a, a publication that they had just identified some new neuron cells, neuronal cells in the brain, and I just thought, well, you know, if we're that was two thousand eighteen, and we're still discovering basic physiology, you know, how can we be so arrogant as to assume we know how everything works when we don't even know what? We've even got inside ourselves. I mean, we're yeah. still looking, still discovering basic physiology. So uh, I think I think that's a, a very very valid point that you make.
1: Um, having said that, having said that, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to leave the door open to all sorts of of course not weirdness. You know, of I think not. we do still know we do still know enough that you know you could sit down and and um, I could sit and I often do sit down with um, with with very well meaning. Complementary therapists and they say, well, this is what I do and I see this and, you know, and, and talk in terms of energy transfer and the like. And, and, you know, and, and I usually will say, well, I think, you know, I think your observations are valid, but the mechanism is unlikely to be the one you, the one you, you suggest, you know, it's unlikely. And that's one of the big problems with complementary medicine. Often the mechanistic side the theoretical side of how it works doesn't necessarily fit with with things that we do know quite well and so the likelihood is that that mechanism isn't valid and that leads to trouble with, with the scientists who are very skeptical because they then dismiss it mm-hmm. they dismiss complementary medicines often dismissed because of the theoretical construct mechanism without looking at the results Right of course, the results most of a lot of complementary medicine has 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 good effects in practice um, and has very few side effects you know has one big advantage few side effects quite good effects in terms of symptom relief in in certain areas anyway and and yet the big thing I think that's the problem is this is this sort of fairly fixed idea of the mechanism based on what's been handed down or whatever and And that we need to loosen up a little bit because that's what gets most of the attention and the negative
0: attention. Absolutely absolutely so coming back um, to acupuncture itself you you talked about using it primarily for musculoskeletal conditions and obviously as you very um, poignantly uh, described that you draw a particular public to you but are there other conditions for which it's suitable um, you know we're faced these days with a lot of uh, serious chronic disease is something like acupuncture useful in these other um, other morbidities
1: Yes, yes. I mean, I I was describing to you where I started from, and um, of course, in recent years, I've been become much more involved in in the peripheral use in all the different areas where it could be used. Um, one area recently that I think is very interesting is in the in the realm of inflammation, uh, and that is this is something that's only come to our attention uh, only a few years ago and uh, came out of the blue. We've, all, we've known for some time that there is this en- internal mechanism that suppresses inflammation, but it's, it's only relatively recently that the power of that has been established, at least in animal models, and from a relatively simple acupuncture-type intervention, electroacupuncture intervention. And so that's got me interested. That together with one or two patient experiences that surprised me and I couldn't explain. Um, and I put the two together and, and thought, oh, this could be actually working through this vagal anti-inflammatory reflex. So relatively simple relatively simple acupuncture, but it has to be acupuncture to deep tissue, usually electrical stimulus, but only for a relatively brief period, has quite a potent effect on this anti-inflammatory reflex. It's, it's likely that patients with chronic inflammatory conditions such as rheumatoid arthritis, um, Crohn's disease, uh, ulcerative colitis, those type of conditions where there's quite a lot of, uh, quite high level of inflammation at times, those people may well be able to control some of their symptoms or prevent some of their symptoms coming on by regular use of a technique like this. Now, the orthodox world is experimenting within plants plants yeah in the Vegas mm-hmm. mm-hmm. which are being studied at the moment, and the, the research is suggesting that these these are these may be valuable, but we can probably do exactly the same thing by teaching patients to do their own treatment twice a week, a relatively simple treatment in a relatively safe part of the body that and that I think is that's something that of course it would be great. The problem, one of the problems is nobody's that interested in nobody's that interested from a commercial point of view in in teaching patients to do their own acupuncture. But the health service might be um, a health service for a, you know on a national level. It could, if it turns out to be useful, it could be uh, it could be very useful. It could be a very worthwhile effect. Now that's so that's quite against the normal run of the mill of acupuncture. Normally we use it to treat people who've already got conditions. And interestingly, rheumatoid arthritis as a condition, for example, doesn't respond well if you come with an acute flare with an very inflamed joint. Acupuncture, whilst in the laboratory, can be shown to have some effects in, in animal models. In a clinical practice, it just isn't a big enough effect to satisfy the condition. We need to suppress that inflammation quickly because the joint is being damaged. So acupuncture isn't powerful enough for that, and we need to use strong medication to try and reduce that Um, and so so it's far more within the realm of prophylaxis or prevention i think for that for those conditions other areas mental health areas there are there's certainly there's been some big there's been some big research in the uk on on uh, moderate to severe depression Um, and there's a you know knowing roughly what happens in the brain with acupuncture and the similarity with exercise it seems logical that there's a, a useful effect there. Obviously, people are a little bit concerned about treating uh, uh, about treating patients who, particularly with severe depression, people are concerned about indirect risks of of, of not using more well-established treatment methods. Um, and I think that's that holds things back a little bit. There, um, we've talked about arthritis, musculoskeletal pain. What else? Oh, there are all sorts of little areas <laughs> coming up. A colleague of mine does a lot of ear acupuncture for around surgery, and there's some useful. Yes, and not only ear, ear acupuncture, ear acupuncture, a little bit of body acupuncture, but indwelling process. He's now got established uh, in his hospital as routine care for um, epidural, not epidural for um, cesarean, uh, cesarean section. So non-emergencies so uh, non-emergency cesarean sections acupuncture is now being used as routine care for post-operative pain they put it in pre-operatively and Mm -hmm. then um and they've shown some very good results there in terms of uh patients mobilizing afterwards because um conventionally we want to avoid drugs around around that time so um and it's a surgical procedure so so one potentially painful and the other we don't want to give strong drugs because of the effect on 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 the baby and mother and even through breast breast milk so so acupuncture has proved to be very useful in that in that area and it's really nice to see it going through its piloting stages, preliminary results and I've watched this because I know the I know the group all the way through to now it's been accepted by the hospital as routine practice so that's fabulous and there are very few examples like that um in, with the implementation of acupuncture techniques fascinating
0: so i, I think like. the inflammation aspect of it is is really significant because i mean there is a growing school of 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 even traditional medicine um and and science that that's beginning to view inflammation as the bad guy i mean that Absolutely. that's the source yes. of of all disease and every disease and So I mean
1: yes. Although inflammation is a good thing, we do need some inflammation because that's part of the Otherwise you wouldn't
0: have it. (laughs) The healing process.
1: Um, But actually, yes, there was a paper published only uh, a couple of weeks ago. It was, I think, the subject of my last or the blog before that. Um, And this is an observational, a big observational study, retrospective observational study. And they they just they looked at the incidence of coronary heart disease in patients with, with rheumatoid arthritis. So there's an increased incidence in rheumatoid arthritis, and it may be the infl- partly the inflammatory link there. Right. Um, and they just looked back to see who had had acupuncture treatment and who hadn't, and the people who the, the popular and this is very large group, something like twenty thousand in each arm wow. of this uh. retrospective trial. So big. So the whole population uh, in Taiwan, that is, uh, was 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 used, or the the national database was was interrogated to look at this and the the incidence in patients who'd had acupuncture for whatever they'd had acupuncture for the um, the well the hazard ratio it was was 0.6 so that means the you know there was almost half the incidence of uh, of coronary heart disease in the in those patients who'd had who'd had acupuncture so that's interesting and that probably is again through this probably through this inflammatory mechanism
0: yeah yeah it makes absolute sense
1: fascinating mm. and we're all focusing on statins and fat for years and actually <laughs> well we i should think... be focusing on on the carbohydrates and inflammation probably
0: absolutely fda actually i think wasn't it in uh, january of last year actually uh reduced cholesterol to a what was the word uh, a nutrient um uh, that's no longer of consideration or something like that so uh so well, even, that... <laughs> even they're starting to wise up <laughs> yes 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 so, if somebody wants to find an acupuncturist, not all acupuncturists are are made equal. How how does how could you advise a patient um, who's looking for this kind of help and thinks it might help them? Um, what would they? What should they do in order to find somebody that's good? So, it's good.
1: It, it obviously it would be it's worth going going to see someone who is regulated in some way. So, there are lots of different ways in which acupunctures not lots. There are a few different ways. So, so. Um, the, probably the biggest group in the UK are physiotherapists who are regulated, of course, uh, as a, a group of, um, so, so if you've got a musculoskeletal condition and, um, and your local physio may well use acupuncture techniques, um, so that's one group you can look for, and the professional group is the AACP, the Acupuncture Association of Chartered Physiotherapy, and you can search on their website. Our website, you can search on, we have a multidisciplinary group of doctors, nurses, osteopaths, um, physios, a whole variety of different health professionals who are all regulated, and most of them will be Western-orientated. And then there's the other big group that's, uh, that's under voluntary regulation, but under a good level of voluntary regulation is the British Acupuncture Council, Uh, And they are, they're trained in undergraduate degrees in Chinese medicine, traditional Chinese medicine degrees or traditional Chinese acupuncture degrees in the UK. And uh, so they do three, I think three, three years, three to four years. um, And they can be searched on the British Acupuncture Council's website. They are all under now, the voluntary regulation is under the PSA, the Professional Services Authority. the Professional Standards Authority, so it's under the voluntary sector. Uh, I'm in the GMC, for example, which is a statutory regulator, but that's under the same group, the PSA, but under the statutory mm-hmm. listing. So there's a voluntary and a statutory listing. So the voluntary listing means that the PSA has looked at their processes and said that they meet the requirements of a good, you know, good quality voluntary regulation. So those would be those type of um, individuals would be the safest probably to go to although acupuncture isn't dangerous uh, for most people in the UK it's very very few. Although as
0: you said you know if you hit a major artery or something it's probably not a good idea. <laughs> so, yeah,
1: no, absolutely so yeah. it's for some patients some patients but but lots of people yeah. uh, I mean lots of people come to me and say oh Mike I went down the high street and I went in and had some acupuncture and that's what got them interested Right. and I think you did and these some of these are doctors and I said did you not Question: Who was doing the acupuncture? You couldn't talk to the acupuncturist because they didn't speak English, and (laughs) and I'm thinking, okay, it's a little bit more risky. Inherently, acupuncture isn't very risky, but it does have yes, it does have potential risks. So, most people would be a lot of people come to me, of course. Say, I came to you because you work in a hospital and you're a doctor, but you know, but but it's not easy to come by people like that. You know, we don't make it. There aren't a lot of people like that around. So um so so but there's there's there should be out of those three groups the bmas the aacp and BXE, you should be able to find somebody nearby you and they they should be pretty reliable although they have very different perspectives so for some people some people will like the oriental chinese medicine ideas but some people in the uk don't like that so much they prefer a bit more of a western uh, a western interaction but ultimately the acupuncture can be very similar right right. it can be very similar so you know i often see a lot of people who've already had acupuncture somewhere else which i don't not that keen on because i'm you know if if you're a strong responder then it doesn't matter really the type of acupuncture you have it's likely to be beneficial Uh, so it limits you know my potential success then i have to go (laughs) to the more more interventional techniques the stronger techniques and and have a look
0: right
1: but uh, mostly, I think the key, the key from my perspective in medicine is to choose the right people. Acupuncture is really useful if you choose the right people, um, the, the best people to have, have, that, have that treatment. But you know, I've yet to convince um, the National Health System that it's a useful thing to teach doctors, <laughs> all doctors.
0: It's only a matter of time, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 money, because at some point the NHS will figure out that you know I think they've already figured out they can't pay the bills, and so we're going to have to look elsewhere.
1: We we spend a be... lot of money though. We spend a lot of money inappropriately. We oh, don't a you. Huge
0: tell me about
1: it. and that's partly again that's driven commercially.
0: Yeah. What would be your one, um, bit of advice to, to people listening who are, uh, have certain physiological or psychological problems that they're, they're looking for something, you know, normal, traditional medicine has not really helped them, um, what would be your advice? What what would be a good approach? Because there are, I mean, you said yourself, there's a variety of people, there's a range of response to acupuncture. There's a range of response, presumably, to, to other modalities. Where does the patient who has no formal medical training or scientific training. Um, all they know is something hurts or they don't feel well or whatever. How do they start a journey towards health and recovery? What would you recommend? How would you recommend to guide a patient to the right places? I know that's a big mm. question, but I that's think a one, huge it's, a it's a huge question, question. That's I think really from, important.
1: Yeah. I, think I, would, I think I would say talk to your GP initially. Um, for two reasons one is that one is that i know gps are very busy they don't have much time but if you go in if you go in in the right way and you go in with a nice simple question and you say you say you know you managed to get yourself in front of your gp who vaguely knows you and say listen i've you know i've been in here before with this problem and and i understand that there's not there isn't anything you can offer me necessarily do you think i should try this would it be okay for me to try? And give, the, give them a little list, um, you know. And most doctors now are aware of, say, acupuncture. They are aware of a certain number of the more, more, more well-recognized complementary medicines. And, um, and th- that serves two features. One is you've got quite a bright person sitting in front of you who's got a good knowledge of orthodox medicine. And, and as, a, as an individual without that knowledge, you could come in and you'd think, I think I'm going to try this for this. And a and a doctor could sit back, you know, and say, "No, that's the wrong approach. This is what you should be focusing on." You know, for example, that they may be able to do that. Now, of course, doctors sometimes will be. You know, some doctors are a little bit dismissive and may may not. But increasingly, I think they're increasingly they're becoming much more accepting, and especially general practice. In general practice, I'm not talking about specialists here. The GP has a very difficult job and knows how difficult it is because they've got a huge number of patients who have no diagnosis and are just start suffering. So mm-hmm. they're very familiar with that that position. So, so it serves two purposes. One is you've got someone who's got quite a good knowledge of medicine who can guide you, and secondly, they can you can be in your notes so they know it's happening and they can say, "Oh, let me just check. No, I think we should. There's something else we should do first beforehand, just to make sure that." You know, you know, the, you know, the GP knows what you're doing. And so the orthodox medicine, whilst it may not be very helpful for you, it's useful to keep them informed. And yep. increasingly they're not, they're not negative about it. You, are, you, but, but, but try and formulate a question for yourself, a nice, simple question, have a nice, and, and so that you can go in and just say straight away, I want your advice on this.
0: And, and feedback. Mag-
1: maximum time yeah then you've got the maximum consultation time to discuss what you want instead of going in and and trying to re-question the condition and just go in with the question and say this is what i have you know from the past i've got this whatever it is shall i try this or this or this i think that would be my first my first step and then based on that guidance and what you think um and say to the gp then i'm going to i think i might try this approach or whatever so that they've got it in the notes so that they know and um and that you're covered from that perspective i think that would be that that would be a useful thing to do and then get an idea and then you know acupuncture i can speak for i can't speak for a a lot of other therapies i'm not so well informed about but acupuncture go yes by all means try it if if there's nothing else to offer go and have a nice relaxing treatment somewhere um if you're worried about it because you've had some before and it's been very painful, ask the practitioner. Say to the practitioner, you've had acupuncture before and you're worried because it hurt you. Make sure the practitioner knows to do a gentle treatment, say, to start with. Make sure, you know, um, and, then, and then try and find someone you like. And if, don't, don't feel, go and try, try it with one practitioner and don't, you know, if you don't seem to get on with them, that you can't get on with everybody go try someone else you know i think liking or, or getting on well with the practitioner makes a huge is a huge part of the effect when you're talking about subtle medicine subtle, right. subtle treatment effects you have to engage as much of the context as you can and one of the biggest uh, one of the biggest effects of context is actually negative not positive we can maximize all the positive we can but the research shows us that if you get it wrong somehow, if you if you make it a nasty experience or a, an adverse experience, then the negative effect is bigger than the potential positive. So right. the so-called nocebo. Nocebo.
0: Effect. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So so if you go in and you think I'm not having, if you I don't feel like I get on right with this pay with this with this practitioner, then go go somewhere else. Try a few out to see if you find someone you like because it's important to like the practitioner and to get on well with them be able to talk to them and of course we're all different so great you know whilst the acupuncture might be the same the acupuncture might be very similar although it does vary quite a lot so if you get hurt then go somewhere else and tell them last time it hurt me i don't want to be hurt use small needles or whatever and build up gradually so it's always good to get feedback. You know, we all make mistakes, make um, you know, make assumptions and we think, "Oh, I've for years I used to treat patients, they said, "Oh, I've had acupuncture before, I've had electroacupuncture." I then assume it's the type of electroacupuncture I do. And yet that patient may never have had a needle placed as deep as I routinely place them. Right. And that happens to me a lot. And now I've learned, of course, and I don't make any assumptions and I take it very carefully to start with. It's only once in a blue moon but but you only have to do it once and you remember it. You put a needle in, you think normally because the patient's had it before and suddenly there's a huge reaction because they've never had that before. Oh, it was never like that. Uh, and yet you've done what you consider to be standard. So, so it's always best to communicate openly and, and tell the practitioner beforehand. Talk to your GP, tell the practitioner if you're worried. I'm a bit nervous about this. You're not going to hurt me, are you? <laughs>
0: No, quite. The, do no harm. Isn't that, uh, isn't that the 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 vowel first, and, that we all take, the first principle of medicine? Very, very sound advice, Mike. I can't believe it, but our time is almost over. I really actually have a million other questions, but they're going to have to wait and we're going to have to get you back. Um, <laughs> so I'd just like to um, close up with, with three little questions that I always ask all of my guests. Now, London Heal is about mind-body-spirit medicine, so the idea of the mind-body connection very central to, to our, uh, our way of being. And I like to encapsulate that in the idea of, of health, happiness and serenity. So I'd be interested to know, how do you define health? What does that word mean for you?
1: Hmm, health. Well, as someone coming from the, from the medical profession, I mean, I've spent a career seeing people who nearly everyone doesn't feel healthy. So, um, so often I'm associating it. I'm, my medical brain is associating it with various various pathologies that we that we recognise. Um, but now I've got older and I do a bit of yoga and eat well. I realise that um, actually, and preventative medicine, of course, uh, is is a is something that we talk about a lot in medicine and medical school, but then in practice, never get an opportunity to. To implement because it's, it's, it's something that really needs to go on outside the surgery or the position that the doctor's living in. Um, I think that, I think so. I think health can be optimal. So, health for me would be feeling well, would be feeling fit, would be feeling like I can do the things that I want to do and, uh, and, and not eating too much. that's another thing another thing that I think recently I've become very interested in I think we all eat way too much and too often and I think that's a really useful way to better health is to really look at your diet I was a big fit young man going to the military you know and for me it was all about exercise it's not all about exercise a bit of gentle activity but diet is far more a way to health I think a bit of gentle activity so I would especially for my age group and older things like, you know, yoga and tai chi and the like. A bit of light, don't try and do too much. Don't go to the gym. <laughs> if you're a woman of a certain age, my age, you know, I see so many of these executive ladies going and doing deadlifts and squats and stuff with big weights. Just don't do that. That's like <laughs> it's it's become very popular recently. I would do much more gentle stuff. And look at what you eat. Before you put anything in your mouth, just look at it and think, do I actually want to put that in my mouth? So many of us don't.
0: We are what we eat, after all, aren't we? we? Are what are we?
1: Eat. <laughs> that was a bit of a long answer, but anyway, there that we go. That was a
0: great answer. I loved it. What about um happiness? What does might do to get happy? What makes you happy?
1: I'm and do lucky. you think it's important? Yes, I am a lucky I'm 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 lucky that I just Either genetically or through my upbringing, I'm not sure exactly how. I'm I'm lucky that I am I am one of those happy people. It's very I, I'm not somebody who suffers suffers with um, with feeling low. Incredibly rare that that would happen to me. Um, what was the question? How do I get happy? Yeah, but at the time, at the times when I have felt when I have felt um, challenged um i say the thing that's found i found most useful most useful to me apart from talking to other people friends and stuff which is is not something i go out and seek but it is useful um engaging with your community is going for a walk a long walk it makes a huge difference um and after you know even in the worst worst sort of um, mental fog and you know a couple of hours going outside in the fresh air and back to normal so I would say a nice long walk is a good is one solution and uh, don't don't spend too much time on your own yeah Try not to to try not to be on your own I think probably I mean we've got lots of data supporting that but but I'm not I'm not very good at that I quite like being on my own but then I'm I'm quite a happy person so (laughs) (laughs)
0: lucky for you that's wonderful and what about serenity i always think that that's a word that we we've kind of forgotten about a little bit because in this crazy hectic lives that we all lead i think it's i mean we talked about the vagus nerve and and bringing bringing your stress down and getting that hpa axis switched over to to a nice relaxed healthy repair mechanism and i think serenity encapsulates that and so many of us just never turn down the noise. So how yep. do you feel about that? And what specific practices you mentioned yoga, do you meditate, et cetera, et cetera?
1: Yep. 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 So again, I think I'm, I think with hindsight and understand and know, learning a bit more about these different practices, um, mindfulness, for example, which has become very popular within pain medicine in recent years. Uh, and I've, and I've gone along and, and tried these different things at, and in, at, at conventions um, and I've been impressed. I, I don't regularly, I don't regularly use those techniques specifically. Although I think they're very useful for some people. Again, I think I'm lucky in the sense that my brain naturally, my brain, the way my brain works naturally, turns off. I focus very strong, very, very, very focused on one thing, and the very process of doing that is a type of mindfulness. Mm-hmm. So I I find that useful. Um, i, I don 't suffer with i rarely suffer with too much noise but i I think i 've probably designed my lifestyle to do that i 've naturally gone away from areas where it 's been too much and i 've recognized it certain path within medicine certain jobs and the like so i think i 've taken that path and I think it 's important to 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 reflect and i think i 've naturally reflected on this and thought this isn 't good for me i 'm going to go that way. But, but in recent years, I've started to do a couple of things. Yoga, a simple Tibetan yoga technique, which because I was focusing on what it was doing, someone asked me to look at it and how was it safe to treat, teach to patients. And in the process of doing it, I was feeling all my muscles and I was being mindful of what was happening. And I went through the process and then I had to go through the process of counting because I lost count. And I thought I'd get used to the whole process. And I went through and I thought, wow, this is like when I do this, I don't think of anything else except, oh, I can just feel a bit of hamstring there and I'm doing this and I'm breathing. And, and you you, you know, you have to focus on what you're doing almost and concentrate on what you're doing and everything else has to wait. And so I think that a practice like that, I think there are lots of different practices. Some people don't like Meditation. Some people prefer mindful practice. I think there are lots of different practices. um, uh, Lots of different practices that people can can utilise. Another one I do, which the more active people might like, is um, is a sword dance, which (laughs) is sounds dangerous. (laughs) Which is quite quite um, energetic, and this is specifically it's called Tog Chord, and it's again uh, a Tibetan technique. Uh, It's a wooden sword that you use. It's quite light, but quite big, like a big saber, and it literally means cutting the head. And the the idea is that you have to focus on what you're doing and swinging the sword around, and you specifically, you know, don't think of anything else. You just think of the practice, and you go through and you do the moves, and um, and so that's a much more active, active type of focus, uh, mental focus. Um, and so that and I thought well, okay this is quite good for active types active type people and then the yoga is quite good quite good for people who just want to stay a bit fit and of um, the simple yoga I do anyway and then um, and then and I think other for other people um, a, a, a more relaxed uh, a more relaxed form of either yoga or meditation where you're in a comfortable position I would make I wouldn't I, I don't like sitting cross legged on the floor. A colleague of mine a colleague of mine has a nice little meditation room, in fact. I went to visit her a year or two ago and she's always she said, I want you to come and do some meditation with me. So we got in this little room quietly and and I struggled because I couldn't get comfortable with my hip and stuff. And I think I think a lot of people get put off sometimes by that. I think you can break the rules. You can you can meditate perfectly well in a comfortable chair
0: absolutely absolutely
1: (laughs) in a comfortable chair and not so um, comfortable
0: that you fall asleep perhaps but uh, yes absolutely
1: absolutely Absolutely. it's um yeah yeah and uh, i think there's lots out there but i think i think that is important and and i wouldn't say one rule for everybody because you know for some people some people the idea of meditation puts them off entirely emptying your head completely
0: it's, not uh, actually and it's possible. A difficult,
1: yeah. very, very, very <laughs> difficult thing to do, uh, yeah. from that perspective. But I think the mindfulness has taken over, and of course, because it comes, I mean, most people would say it probably derives from Buddhism, or at least partly um, that that has, has had a big influence. Then, then um, there are all sorts of uh, Buddhist practices that that you know I think are quite nice to look into.
0: Great. Well, Mike, thanks you so much again for taking the time to speak to me today. Sorry, we've gone a bit over time. It was just so interesting. And I'd really love to acknowledge you for the work that you do. I I can't emphasize how, how important it is for me personally to have classically trained physicians who adopt such an approach as you have done to bring healing methods into uh, the the workplace, into the place to really help people. Because at the end of the day, that's what we're all about, isn't it? It's actually ceasing suffering and helping people and not getting stuck in dogma in order to do that. And I really acknowledge you for that because I think it's a very brave thing to do. And, uh, and I think you've, you've given acupuncture a of, of fabulously honorable... Uh, title perhaps in in the UK, which is is marvellous because it does help so many people. So thank you very much.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So dear listeners, I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I think Mike gave us a a wonderful um, look into the world of acupuncture and the more Western um, application of that, the medical acupuncture, finding out how we think it works and that it works and for which different cases and diseases it's applicable and also how to find the best practitioner, all really valuable information. I cannot emphasize enough that if you go over to the B-M-A-S website that they actually have an amazing amount of information and Mike himself writes regular blog articles and there's a wealth of information there if you would like to inform yourself more about medical acupuncture and also some general medical things indeed as he mentioned including things like nutrition And so, my dear listeners, I would ask you please to support us over on iTunes, rate, review us, and subscribe. Please also support us on our Facebook page, like it, and uh, the rare occasions I do actually post something. I'm so terribly busy with other things and trying to get good podcast interviews together that I don't post as much as I would like, but please support us over there. And, of course, if you would like extended podcast notes, show notes for the episodes in the future, then just come over, become a London Heal Insider by signing up over at londonheal.com and you will receive exclusive access to extended show notes available only to subscribers with the episodes into your mailbox. And so dear listeners, until then, it leaves me to wish you as always health, happiness, and serenity.